0: Hello, welcome. Today we are gonna be covering um, Noah and the Ark. We're not only gonna cover uh, the rest of chapter six, but we're also gonna cover all of seven and all of eight. And I'm gonna do it in less than an hour. My goal, uh, we're four minutes past the hour right now. My goal is to finish each of these talks. I'm aiming for 50 minutes. Last week I was long, I went on a rant. Uh, I got very passionate, and I apologize, Uh, so I'm trying to keep these to about 50 minutes. And on that note, let's pray, and then we are going to talk completely about Noah and the ark today. We're going to cover a lot of ground. Uh, It's an exciting story that you've probably heard from preschool about Noah and the ark. So why don't you bow your heads if you're able, and let's dig into this. Lord, thank you for this time. Uh, Thank you that you have captured in your word the stories of the events that happened in history This story we're going to cover today, Lord, brings up all kinds of questions, and I pray, Lord, that you will give us answers, that your word will speak to us, and that your purpose in the story of Noah, your purpose of of all of that will come through, and that your love for us will be radiant through that. Speak through me, and I pray that the ears will be opened and the minds and the hearts will be softened of those people who are listening. We love you, Lord. We dedicate this time to you. Be here with us now as we study your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read through uh, from chapter 6, verse 9, all the way to the end of 8. I clocked it, and it's just over six minutes to read it through. Uh, So sit back, relax, enjoy, and uh, let's hear about Noah and the ark. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the, in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all the life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. Chapter 7, the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate. And also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, birds, of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the Ark, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days the flood waters came on the earth. In the six hundredth day, year, excuse me, six hundredth year of Noah's life, on the seventeenth day on the se- of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. And rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark." The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. For forty days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind, everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground, and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed and the rain stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark and sent a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could not find anywhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again. But this time, it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 600th and first year, the waters had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. And that concludes chapter eight. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk through each of the key elements and discuss them. First off, let's start with the arc. 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Now a cubit is the distance from uh, the inside of your uh, elbow to the inside of your wrist. Now that's different for different people, uh, and I've seen some say a cubit is 18 inches. We're going to use 20.4 inches for the definition of a cubit. That means that the arc was roughly 510 feet long, 80 feet, 85 feet wide, and 51 feet high. This was a humongous wooden structure. What I'm gonna show you now is a comparison. Uh, in this comparison, you can see uh, the arc compared to um, one of Columbus's ships, then the Wyoming, which is uh, a large wooden ship, then you see the Titanic, then you see one of the largest um, uh, cruise ships. Just to get an idea of it, the size of this thing, now the Titanic was huge, but when you look at the size of the Ark, it wasn't as big as the Titanic, but the Titanic and the Queen Marie II and and all the modern day uh, cruise ships, they're made out of steel, they're made out of metal, whereas the Ark was made out of wood. Gigantic, humongous structure. Uh, Santa Maria, the Wyoming, the Titanic, and the Queen Marie II cruise ship. So there was a roof Uh, with an opening one-cubit high all the way around. It had one door in the side. It had lower, middle, and upper decks. It was made of, the NIV says, cypress wood. The King James says, gopher wood. Now, I did uh, some studies on this. Now, gopher wood, um, they don't know what gopher wood is. Now, uh, the other translation, teak wood, is the type of wood uh, that the message gives it. I looked at all the different types of wood that they have. And cypress is uh, what most scholars think the actual wood was made out of. It might have been called gopher wood, or it's possible that uh, in the anti before the flood, there was uh, a, a different type of wood that no longer exists today. Keep in mind that the flood destroyed everything on Earth. So we have the trees that we have today. Cyprus uh, was what they used to build uh, a lot of Solomon's Temple and Solomon's Palace. And it was abundant, very long-lasting, and it was a common wood in Judea uh, in that time frame. So Cyprus is is what modern scholars think the wood was. Um, The Ark housed thousands of animals based on their kind. There's estimations that they were just shy or around 7,000 animals that were on the ark. Uh, How long did it take for Noah to build the ark? Now, I have heard it said it took Noah 100 years to build. And that's what the, the number that a lot of people toss around. And I ask the question, okay, how do we know 100 years? Where do we get that? The reason why they say 100 years is because Noah is mentioned uh, at 500 years old. And then uh, after that, uh, God gives him the command to build the ark. Then the next date that we hear is that he's 600 years old. So the question is, at what point in that 100-year time frame did he start building the ark? We don't know. Uh, On the long end, it could have taken him 100 years to build. Uh, On the shorter end, less than that. We simply do not know. We do know it was a long time for sure. Um, we do know that Noah was on the ark for 370 days. We know that specifically because the Bible says reference to his 600th birthday and then his 601st birthday, and they reference the, uh, the month and the day of the month uh, using the Jewish lunar calendar. Uh, we see that it was 370 days he was on that boat. With 7,000 animals, and the only air vents was one cubit, roughly 20 inches, going around the whole top. It must have smelled great. Uh, so as far as the Ark itself, um, there are different uh, photos uh, uh, of different renderings that people have done, uh, and I'm going to talk about the Ark Encounter. This is really cool. The Ark Encounter is a... Uh, Young Earth Creationist Museum. It's an attraction in Williamstown, Kentucky. It's near Cincinnati. And it is a replica using the dimensions given in uh, Genesis for the Ark. And you can go and you can tour it. They have built it with the three decks. They've also, this is all part of the um, Answers in Genesis uh, ministry, that uh, Ken Ham is the president of, and he has wrote written dozens upon dozens of books. But what he has done with Answers in Genesis is he has pulled together scientists, modern-day scientists that are cutting-edge, doing work as scientists, but they are also young Earth creationists, and they are doing research, they are writing articles, they are doing the hard work, to come to, to to do the research to see the scientific evidence that supports the flood that supports a young earth and it's really fascinating. You can go to AnswersInGenesis.org. I believe is no, it's dot com. No, sorry. ArcEncounter.com is where you can see uh, the Arc experience, which is more of the amusement park. There's also, they have the Creation Museum, and it's Answers in Genesis is the parent company. You can go to Answers in Genesis, I think it's .org, AnswersinGenesis.org, no.answersingenesis.com will take you there as well, and you can look up articles upon articles upon articles talking about all kinds of scientific data to support a global flood—it's fascinating stuff—and these are these are legit doctors, PhDs, uh, that are doing this research. So, what do we know about Noah? We actually don't know a whole heck of a lot. Now, from Scripture, we learn a few different things. One, uh, Genesis six nine, he is a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. We also know from Second Peter two five that he was a preacher of righteousness. And from Hebrews 11, seven, we know he was motivated by faith and godly fear. Hebrews eleven seven, seven, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness That is, in keeping with faith. Another uh, element that we know, Noah was not responsible for gathering the animals. He didn't go around across the earth and go find all of these creatures. The Bible makes it clear. God brought the animals to him. Noah was responsible, however, for gathering all the food rations and storing the food in the ark and then taking care of the animals. Uh, He, his wife, the three sons, and the three wives were the only people on the ark. So there's eight people on the ark, and they were the ones that were responsible for keeping with these animals, taking care of these animals, uh, getting rid of all the manure from all of these animals. For 370 days, they were enduring that. So it's an interesting question. Noah is... As we look at this, the question is what was Noah's life like? As I read the story, I try to put myself into his position. God says to him, I'm going to destroy the world, I am going to cause a flood. It's gonna rain, and everybody that you know and love, other than your wife and your sons and their wives, is going to die. All the livestock, all the animals, everyone is going to die. But you are responsible for building a boat, a gigantic boat, unlike anything that's ever been built before, and you are going to take care of these animals. You alone and your family are going to survive. Imagine the ridicule. Imagine what that must have been like. You think you have it hard in whatever it is, but imagine imagine what his friends thought. Imagine what his wife thought when he first said this, when he first came to her and says, yeah, uh, so, God told me some crazy stuff. And then as he's building it, I mean, we know it didn't take him a year to build. It had to have taken longer than that. We don't know that it necessarily took a hundred years, but it took a really long time. And as he's building this structure, people no doubt, his family, his, 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 his father, his grandfather, his great-great-grandfather, remember at this point. Uh, You could have eight generations alive at the same time because people were living so long. So imagine the ridicule he was receiving from his family, from his friends. And then when he tried to explain to them what was going to happen, I don't know if he did or not. uh, The Bible does say that he was a preacher of righteousness. My guess is, is that he tried to save people. He tried to to tell them to repent. (sighs) Man. uh, And then there's also the question of rain. There is this question, had it rained yet? We know in the uh, Genesis six days account that in Eden, it didn't rain. We know that in the Garden of Eden, it says that. Now, when you read on the answers in Genesis, all of the models that they have, uh, they think that it did rain before the flood. Now you can go and, and read those articles. There are some people, uh, some perspectives that say it hadn't rained yet and, and rain for the first time happened at the flood. So the point being is, is that not only did they think he was insane, uh, but like he, they, they must have thought Noah was completely off his rocker nuts. And despite that, despite that, Noah continued having no idea if it was going to happen or not, but just simply having faith, having faith. It's impressive it's very impressive so when did all this happen the young earth creationist biblical perspective uh, is that the flood happened 1650 years after creation which puts it roughly 4,000 years ago 4,400 years ago uh, from today roughly where did it happen Now the Bible tells us that the final resting place is to believe is near uh, the mountains of Mount Arat. A-R-A-R-A-T is how you spell that. Now that mountain does exist. Gorgeous, uh, gorgeous mountain. Here's some photos of it. It's in far Eastern Turkey, very close to the border, the Northern border with Iran um, and Armenia. Now, This is interesting, Uh, they do believe, some believe, that they have found the resting place of the Ark. Here are some photos that they have. This is uh, in the hills around Mount Ariat, where they believe that this is Noah's Ark. It does measure roughly 500 feet in length. It's wider than the Ark. Uh, but they believe that, that decomposition, uh, that, that the walls of the Ark just fell down over time. Uh, y- you can go, I'm going to include a link down below for this article. Um, this is not a new find. This was found uh, sometime in the 80s or 90s is when this first discovery was made. And new articles pop up citing this as being the Ark. Now, the scientists at Answers in Genesis, and ARC encounter, do not believe that this is the actual ARC. Um, And there is a link that I'll include to um, answersingenesis.org forward slash Noah's slash ARC. And I'll include that link in the YouTube details down below uh, where there's a a ton of information as well as a video from a person who works for uh, Answers in Genesis Etc. cetera. Um, there are lots of articles that you can go and read in that. Um, now, questions from skeptics. There's all kinds of questions that are out there, and either Answers in Genesis or um, GotQuestions.org are phenomenal resources from biblically-based uh, Christians uh, uh, as far as giving the answers. Great resource. But here are a few of the questions from skeptics. How is it possible that every single animal species could have fit on the ark? Animal species. If you take all the animal species on earth, there are billions of animals. Now, one of the first things to hit on is is that this does not include any aquatic life at all. This is just... uh, any animals that have the breath of life in them. So this is land dwelling uh, animals. Now, insects, the creeping and crawling things are included. Insects are an interesting thing. Not all of them are uh, can be considered in that category. But the, the main uh, counterpoint or the main response to that question is that this isn't species, it's kind. So in the, the hierarchy of uh, species is actually quite low in the list. Species is quite specific, kind is above that. And so by that, uh, dog, let's use a dog as an example. There were two dogs, a male and a female dog, that went onto the ark. When they came off the ark, this one pair is the ancestor, the origin kind for all dogs on earth to this day. Yes, this does mean that young Earth earth creationists do believe in evolution, but they believe in evolution within the kind. So from this pair of dogs, you have wolves, you have Bernie's mountain dogs. Oh, she's back here, she's hiding back here. Uh, You have Bernie's mountain dogs, you have chihuahuas, you have hyenas, you have uh, all, every animal within the dog kind are all linked to the pair of dogs that went on the Ark. It doesn't mean that there were two Bernese Mountain Dogs and that there were two Chihuahuas. It's all dogs were from the one pair. When you do it that way, you are able to find all of the animals on Earth could be under 7,000 animals that fit on the Ark and cover all of the kinds of animals. I hope that makes sense. And again, uh, you can go to answersingenesis.org forward slash Noah's slash ark to find the scientific evidence that they have done to support that. So here's a question. What is the point? What is the point overall of the story of the flood, of Noah? Did it happen? Is this just some sort of allegory, uh, some inspirational story? No, no. It legit happened. And when you look, it's an interesting element. There are hundreds upon hundreds of ancient flood stories across all over the world. People groups from all over the world in their ancient histories all have a flood story. Now they're all different. They've all changed through time as far as uh, uh, ancestral elements. but we as a human race all go back to Noah. That is our lineage. It goes back to that. The overall point, God is creator over all. God is sovereign over all. Sin, has consequences and judgment is imminent. It's heavy stuff. And there are those people that say, God is love. God God is love And, and a loving God would never be judgmental. God doesn't judge me, God only loves me. Yes, God is love. But if you make the argument that God doesn't bring down judgment and that judgment is not coming, you haven't read the Bible. Just to name a few things, just to give you some perspective on judgment in the Bible, Genesis 3, the judgment of Adam and Eve. Genesis 7, the judgment of the flood. That's where we're at. Genesis 11, judgment of the Tower of Babel. Genesis 19, judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Exodus 7 through 12, judgment on Egypt and the Egyptian gods. That's the plagues. Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 18 is a specific verse, but but the whole uh, period of time uh, when Israel comes into the promised land, you have judgment on the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the uh, Havites, and the Jebusites. God brought his judgment down on a very sinful people group. All of this in Canaan, in Judea, uh, when Israel came on. This includes the story of Jericho. Uh, Nahum 1.14, judgment on Nineveh. Ezekiel 26.4, judgment on Tyre. Then you have throughout uh the story of uh, Numbers, throughout the wandering in the desert, throughout uh, Israel's history, you have judgment from God on the people of Israel. God made a conditional covenant. If you do this, I will do this with the people of Israel. And judgment came down on them uh, multiple times when they didn't follow that conditional covenant. God, throughout the Old Testament, brings down judgment on the sin in the world. That is very clear. Now let's talk about future judgments that are promised to come. Revelation 6 through 16, the tribulation. The tribulation is a period of seven years in which God is going to pour out judgment on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. 2 Corinthians 5.10 speaks of the judgment seat of Christ. This is also known as the Bema seat judgment. Now, this is judgment upon the Christ follower of our works. This is the refiner's fire. This is not judgment into condemnation. This is a judgment that every Christ follower is going to go through where all of our works are going to be thrown into the fire. And those works that are good are going to come out pure as gold, but those works that are selfish are going to burn up. And the Bible does say that those good deeds that we do here on earth as Christians will be rewarded in heaven. Now, what that's going to look like, I have no idea, but the Bible does say there is going to be reward for our good deeds. I'm just excited to get there. Matthew 25, 31 through 46, judgment of the nations judgment of the nations. This is speaking of during the tribulation time, the way nations treat Israel will be judged. So nations as, as a whole will be judged. 1 Corinthians 6, 2-3, There is a judgment on angels. This is obviously speaking of the fallen angels. We spoke about last week, the fallen angels. Now, are these fallen angels in reference to uh, the angels we spoke about at the beginning of Genesis 6, of coming down and getting on with mankind, or is this the fallen angels that joined with uh, Satan, Lucifer, when he uh, fell from heaven, when he, out of pride, was killed kicked out of heaven. He brought a third of the angels with him. There's judgment on the angels continuing on revelation 20, 11 through 15. This is the great white throne judgment. This is the judgment that every single person on earth who isn't in the book of life will be judged. Good deeds versus bad deeds will be weighed, and it's an impossible, your good deeds can never outweigh your bad deeds. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. In God's economy, if you sin, the punishment for that is judgment, condemnation unto death. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. We all are selfish. We all deserve death. Isn't this such a fun and uplifting talk? (laughs) The story of Noah and all this judgment, you can look at it and you can get so uh, downtrodden. And you can look at it and be like, wow, wow. I mean, this is heavy stuff. This is bleak stuff. When I look at the story of Genesis, specifically the flood, I don't look at it as an angry, vindictive God who is pouring out His wrath. I look at it as a God that loves us, that wants us, his creation to be at peace to be saved make no mistake god wants his creation to repent he wants us he doesn't want anyone to perish but for all to come to repentance and you see in the story of the flood god give us another chance now the question is There is that verse in in verse 6 where the the wickedness had spread throughout the entire earth and there was a a desire in God's uh, heart to to wipe the slate clean. We talked about that last week. We talked about last week from the reason why. Why did God uh, choose to bring about the flood and wipe the slate clean? But what I do see is a God that that rescues his follower, rescues Noah, and gives mankind a second chance. Now, as we continue in Genesis, we're gonna see very quickly uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, Babel. We're gonna see that mankind screws it up again. And that's that's our story. But God loves us and wants no one to, to perish. And he gives a way out. I think it's very interesting that the ark had one entrance. There's one door in. And Jesus specifically says, I am the door. And those who travel through me will be saved. He also says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Specific verses. You have John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then you have John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus is our ark. Jesus gives us, through God's grace and love, an opportunity for us to be able to be saved, no longer be bound by the confines of sin and death. And when I look at the entire Bible as a whole, I don't see a judgmental God that is just sitting up there ready to pour out His wrath. I see a God who has done everything to allow us to be in his presence, to allow us to be saved. Let's open up to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. Now this, uh, the specific verses that I want to hit on is verse 9, but but I'm actually going to pick it up at at verse 1 and we're going to read just a handful of verses. This is 2 Peter. This is where the apostle Peter is talking about the end of the world. Dear friends, This is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through our apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. I would argue, just to pause, that was almost said word for word to Noah. Where is this flood? Where is this destruction that you promised, Noah? Everything continues as it always has. And and Jesus said that in the latter days, people will be, just as it was in Noah's day, people will be uh, having a good good time. They'll be working. They'll be giving in marriage, giving and receiving in marriage, continuing on. But they deliberately forgot, forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world, of that time was deluged and destroyed That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Peter hits on it perfectly. What are we supposed to do? Judgment is coming. Now, at the end of 8, we were reading, and God says that, that he will never judge the world as he has done. Meaning he's never going to destroy the world again with a flood. It's very clear. Judgment is coming and the world will be destroyed, but this time it's with fire. It's with fervent heat. Everything's going to melt. So as we wrap up questions to consider, whether for a small group, whether for your own, uh, um, thinking as you are simply driving down the road, just some things to ponder. Noah, think about Noah. Uh, what did he tell his friends? What did he tell his friends and family while he was building the ark? How do you think that was received? Question two, how did Noah feel knowing that God was going to save his wife, his three sons and their wives, but that everybody else that he knew on earth was going to die? How do you think he felt? What must that have been like? Apply that, apply that to yourself as you look at your own life and the challenges that you face. For me personally, God called me into ministry, into going to school, into leaving a very profitable life and business as a photographer and and in the video production world, to sell it, to drop everything, and to focus on ministry. And there are some people in in the industry that are dumbfounded by why I would do that, give up making so much money to go and serve God. And when I look at Noah and his story, it's like, wow, I have it so easy. I know God's call. Regardless of what people think, regardless of their questioning, I know I'm on the right path. I know what the next few days and months look like. I don't know what the next few years look like. So in your life, what are you facing right now that society looks at it and they're like, what are you doing? But you know, God is, is, is sending you down this path for a reason. Noah was steadfast and you should be steadfast in following God's heart for your life. And in the same way of what Peter tells us, we are to live holy lives. The key thing as a Christian is Repentance. That is the most important thing, is to repent, to, to admit our need for God and to return to God. I'm going to stop there because I could continue down that rant. But that wraps up the story of Noah. Uh, this has been a brief talk, and yet we've covered two and a half chapters. And the reason being is, is that it's a great story, uh, and it doesn't need a whole lot of digging into it. If you feel inclined and want to know the science behind, well, the fossil record. What do you creation scientists think of the fossil record? And how is that actually a support for a global flood as opposed to an argument against it? What about rock formations? The rock formation layers, uh, evolutionists and old earth theorists will say that the rock formations that took millions and millions of